0: Well, good afternoon, and I am Pastor Mark Wood. I'm the Director of Witness and Outreach for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. I work in St. Louis at the International Center, which sounds really impressive, but it's bad. See, I'm a lifelong Cubs fan, and I live in St. Louis. Uh, it's just really bad. So so I just wanted wanted you to know right off the bat how much I love Jesus, that I'm willing to do this. So, But... Uh, I'm glad you joined us today to talk about this. Uh, You are here to witness because uh, this is something that's really been a big part of my life for 40 years. I left the church. So when I was your age, I wasn't doing youth gatherings. I was doing other stuff that you're not supposed to do at youth gatherings or anywhere else for that matter. Um, But that led to me joining the Air Force to get my act together. And then somewhere down the road, when I was about 21 or so, I came back to the church. And I came back with a, a great passion for telling other people about Jesus. But it hasn't always been very easy for me. It was, uh, you know, I had all sorts of issues and problems and challenges and mistakes. And, and so what I hope to be able to share with you in a little bit of time we have together and what I put into the resources that we create is what I've learned, not, not that I'm super smart or the best evangelist ever, or even a really great witness, but just what I've learned from all those experiences. So you don't have to go through all that hard part. Well, you will. That's okay. They told you that last night, right? So, but something else they said last night, is really important. They, they said, you know, we have these questions for God. You know, a lot of those questions are why, you know, why this, why that? You know, and kind of the biggest question of all, why am I here? Not here in this room or at this, but here on that TV show from 20 years ago called The Third Rock from the Sun, you know, why am I here? What purpose do I have? And that's what we want to explore a little bit uh, today. Why why are you here? Well, I gave you the answer right off that. Spoiler alert, the answer is in the title. Uh, You're here to witness. Uh, that's the purpose of your life, and it's the purpose of all of your life. You know, sometimes I hear people say, well, the youth are the church of the future, and uh, I, I, t- I take exception to that, because not because you aren't the church of the future, but that's an incomplete statement. You're also the church now. You're the church now, and God has called you to a purpose now. And what comes to mind when I talk to high school students is this. There's a woman who helped us put together part of the resources that make up the the program Everyone Has Witness. Her name's Danielle. And Danielle is a DCE now. Uh, She's serving with her husband in Taiwan. But, But Danielle wasn't always a DCE. She wasn't even always a Lutheran. She wasn't even always a Christian. See, she was born into a Mormon family. And she grew up in the Mormon faith, and she lived in in Utah. But her family moved to Idaho, where there's still a lot of Mormons, but not quite as saturated as Utah. And, And in her high school, she had classmates who were Christians. It was the first time she ever went to school with Christians. And these Christian high school students witnessed to her, to Danielle. And because of their witness, she became a Christian. And she had to hide that from her family. Because if you know a Mormon religion and culture, if you leave the Mormon church, you're like shunned. You're cut off from your family. Uh, And so she hid it. And she went off to college. And while she was off at college, her family found out that she'd become a Christian. And they did cut her off. Not just money, they cut her off from the family. She has younger siblings she's never met in person. Because her family will not allow this Christian to have an influence in it and so she ended up leaving that college and going to Concordia University Nebraska and uh, becoming a DCE why how did it all start her high school classmates loved her enough to witness to her to tell her to, to tell her the truth of Jesus so don't ever think for a moment that you're just the church of the future you know by virtue of your baptism into Christ you're the church now and your purpose now and your whole life, is about this. Well, this is what Martin Luther said. We've been born and placed into this life and station by God to serve the world and to gather the elect for eternal salvation. So, uh, so the reality is that you know, we're here for this purpose, to serve others. And and the greatest way we can serve others, because you know the great commandment, right? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The great commandment. So we're supposed to love our neighbor. And there's lots of ways that we can love our neighbor, but they really boil down to two categories. One is showing the love of Jesus to people. And we do that through things like mercy work and human care and, and coming to them in the midst of disasters. And and you know uh, listening to people when they have problems and helping them through difficult situations showing the love of jesus but the second part and this is critically important is to speak the love of jesus that's the second part here of this uh, serve the world and gather the elect for eternal salvation so that's what we're here to do to share the love of jesus by showing the love of jesus but even more importantly, by speaking the love of Jesus, so that people will come to know Jesus as their Savior too. So Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, "You will be my witnesses." Does that sound like a question to anybody? All right, you didn't know there'd be a grammar test today, right? So I might try to work some math in here later too. So. but that's not a question, right? It's a statement. You will be my witnesses. And again, you're, you're baptized into Jesus. You're automatically a witness. Now that does raise some questions though, doesn't it? Like, what kind of witness am I? <laughs> Just because you're a witness doesn't mean you're being effective or faithful or good. You know? Where am I supposed to witness? To, to whom am I going to witness? And the biggie how do I witness? So there are a lot of questions on our minds as we, as we look at that statement. But one, one of those questions we can dismiss is whether or not I am a witness. You are a witness of Jesus. He said so. And being a witness of Jesus makes you a part of God's mission. And God's mission is very clearly stated in, in Luke 19.10. The Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Lost. Now, what does it mean to be lost? So let's say your little brother or sister takes your cell phone. And you go to look for it where you put it. And it's not there. And you know the brat took it. So you confront him or her. And they say, I don't know where it is. And they're right. They don't know where it is because they did what with it? Lost it. So it's not where it's supposed to be. That's what lost means. When something is not where it's supposed to be, it's lost. And you have to go looking for it. So when Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost, he was talking about the people Luther referred to as the elect. These are people who God has chosen for eternal life, And they're not experiencing eternal life. They're not connected to Jesus in any way. They're lost. They're not where they're supposed to be. They're not part of the church. They're not confessing Jesus as Lord. And so his mission was to come into the world and to seek out and save those people who were not where they're supposed to be. The lost. People who were going to perish. People who were going to eternal damnation. So Jesus did his mission, right? He accomplished his mission. So there's no lost people left in the world. Or are there? Do you, are there any lost people in the world? It's okay, you can respond. We're not in church. Okay. <laughs> are there any lost people in America? Yes. In your, the state you live in? Yes. The city you live in? Yes. The school you go to? Yes. The people in your neighborhood? Yes. Your family? Yeah, still a lot of lost people, aren't there? So witnessing this is our part in God's mission. To, to take what Jesus has done and bring it to people who don't know about it. To tell people that, that Jesus has paid for their sins, that he has saved those who were lost, and they don't need to be lost anymore. They can be where God wants them to be. Because we know God's heart And God's heart is that no one perish, but all people come to faith. So we take this out to the whole world. We take it out to all the people we know. So your mission field, I guess technically you could say your mission field is the whole world. But it's kind of a big place, isn't it? So where's your mission field? This goes to the question, to whom should I witness? And this is really important. Uh, because sometimes we forget about how great our God is. We think, you know, things just happen sort of by accident or chance, and then God kind of makes the best of it. But the Bible paints a very different picture of God. It paints a picture of God who's in control of all things. And, and so in Acts chapter 17, we hear that, that God allotted, determined allotted periods and boundaries of the dwelling place of all men. You put that together with some other Bible verses, you know, things like, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, And, and before the, any of my days came to being, you knew them all. You start to get a picture of a God who is doing things on purpose. Not a haphazard God, where, where things are just happening all around him, and, he, and he's trying to sort through and make the best of it. But a God truly in control. And how control? How much in control is he? Well, he's he's as much in control as you are not in control. So, did you pick the time of your birth? Did you pick the the country that you were born into? Did you, nobody did that, right? Did you choose the family that you have? Here's a bigger question: Would you have chosen the family that you have? <laughs> so. Now, you didn't choose any of those things. Did you choose to be smart or not quite as smart as everybody else? Did you choose to be better at sports than academics or better at music than athletics? Did you choose to have a passion for accounting? No, of course not. That's of the devil. Uh, (laughs) Or or are you somebody who's like a super math whiz or somebody who can't add two and four? It's five, by the way. So, you know, you didn't choose any of those things. Who did? God chose them. And he chose them for a purpose. And the purpose is to equip you to be his witness in the place, at the time, and with the people of his choosing. So you haven't been born at the wrong time. You haven't been born in the wrong place or in the wrong family or with the wrong body or the wrong gifts or the wrong interests. It's all been by God's design for your good and the good of others. So, so God is in control. And so your mission field is right where he's put you, wherever that might be. You know, maybe your mission field doesn't sound very exciting. Maybe it's like Mattoon. Is it Mattoon? Matthew. Mattoon. Maybe it's Mattoon, Illinois. That doesn't sound as exciting as, say, Chicago, Illinois, right? Or, or Kenya. Those sound like exciting mission fields. But any last lost people in Mattoon? They don't even know how to say the name of their own town. So, I mean, they're really lost. Yes. So God is still wanting us to seek and save all those who are lost. He's put us right where we need to be, right in the midst of lost people. He's made it easy for us. He surrounded us with lost people. And so when we go out, we go out as witnesses, but not as witnesses who have it all together. Now, This is kind of good news for us, because some people tell you, you've got to be some super witness, right? You've got to have it all together. You have to have all the right answers. You have to, you have to memorize these Bible verses. You have to get it. Together, so when somebody asks you about the Quran, you know all about the Quran. If somebody raises a question about a philosopher, you're familiar with all that philosopher's teaching. No, none of that. We're real people. Real people. Just like Jesus came into a world that was broken, we go into a world that's broken. But what's the difference between Jesus and us is he was never broken you know, like we are. We're broken people just like the people we go out to. Jesus never sinned. We know sin all too well. The suffering that Jesus experienced was suffering that was because of us. When Jesus was broken, it was not a literal broken. It was, a, I mean, a figurative broken. It was a literal broken, broken on the cross. But we're broken people in that, you know, we have just as many problems as the people of the world that we go to with the gospel. So just like we don't have to clean people up before we can bring them into the church, we don't have to have it all together before we could go out with the good news that Jesus forgives sins. And so uh, Isaiah 61 talks about the Lord appointing us to to tell good news to people. So when we look at the Christian church, and we look at Christians, we see uh, the rate of divorce among Christians is the same as the rate of divorce out uh, among non-Christians. The the rate of of couples that live together before marriage is the same as those who are not Christians. The the percent of of men who uh, are addicted to pornography is the same as those who don't know Jesus. Uh, Alcohol abuse is pretty much the same among Christians as it is among people who don't know. It's like we're not any different. We're just as broken We have all the same problems. But there is one difference. One really big difference. We may be broken, but we know the healer. Now imagine, because as I run through that list of brokenness, and we can keep it going for a long way, I'm sure there's some of them you're related to. And some of them that you were thinking of in terms of your own brokenness. But you get to deal with your brokenness knowing the healer. Imagine what it's like for someone to go through that same brokenness and not know the healer, not know the comfort of Jesus, not know that they're loved by their Creator, not know that their sins are forgiven. What a horrible, terrible way to go through life. So as Christ witnesses, we're bringing good news of a healer to people who are broken, just like us. And what is our motive? Well, it's not to you know, increase the population of our churches or to get more money in the plate or to put notches on our Bible because we won somebody over to Jesus. You know, our motives aren't any of those things. Our motive is not to clean up our society or to make America great again as a Christian nation. Our motive is love. You know that Jesus loved us enough to come into our broken world and bring us life and salvation, and heal us from our brokenness. That He loved us enough to do that. That we would love others. So as we've been loved, we go out in love. Or as First John 4.19 4, puts it, we love because He first loved us. We take the love of Jesus to those who are not lovable, as His witnesses. And there's a, there's a great joy in this. Sometimes evangelism is, is thought of as, as sort of a, oh, well, yeah, I guess we have to do this. You know, it's, it's kind of a painful thing that, you know, because we love Jesus, we're going to do it. Uh, but it, it hurts, and we'd rather not do it, and we'd rather the pastor do it, uh, rather somebody else do anybody else do it. Uh, and we miss out on something. We miss out on, on joy. Because Jesus is inviting us to join him in his mission to seek and save the lost. He shares his joy with us. So, you know, Isaiah has this picture. As a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Now think about that, that picture that Isaiah is using. It's the bridegroom on his wedding night rejoicing over his bride. He's waited to marry her. He's prepared all this all this time it took and all this energy it took to get everything ready before they could come together as husband and wife. All that anticipation and, and it all comes together on, on this joyous occasion of their wedding and he rejoices over her and, the, and Isaiah is trying to convey to us that's how God rejoices over you. That's how God rejoices over lost people who are found Over broken people who come to know the healing of Jesus. God is rejoicing over them. And when God starts rejoicing, it doesn't just stay like inside a little container. Maybe I'm saying God's not Lutheran. He doesn't keep it all bottled up. When God starts rejoicing, it spills over onto everybody and everything around him. And so in Luke chapter 15, we have that image of Jesus as the shepherd who goes out in search of the one sheep that wandered off, right? There's a hundred, one goes off, you know, and, and he goes out after it. And when he gets that sheep, okay, I told you we we're going to do some math. Let's work on this. A hundred sheep and one wandered off. How many are left? What kind, what's the percentage then? You guys are good. So if you were to put that in baseball terms, what would that a batting average be? 990 batting average. If you were batting 990 in the major leagues, how much money would you be making right now? <laughs> yeah, you could have a youth gathering every week, right? <laughs> uh, and pay for it all. I mean, so so the way we look at it is, yeah, I'm at, I'm at 99%. That's pretty good, right? If you got 99% on an algebra test, would you be feeling pretty good about that? All right, but the shepherd says, oh no, I'm missing one. I'll leave the 99 safe and goes off after the one. All right, so 99 in the field. He goes after the one. He finds the one that's lost. How many sheep does he have now? 100. How many did he start with? And how many does he have now? And what's the difference? Zero. (laughs) He's right back to where he started from. All right, so here's what I would do if I was that shepherd. I'd be kicking that sheep in the butt all the way back to the flock. Do you know what you put me through? Yeah, you, you know, I had to go out here crawling around through bushes and climbing trees and, and going down rocks and put myself in danger just to find you. That's what the shepherd does, right? No, he picks up the sheep, puts on his shoulder, comes back. Even though he's just right back to where he started from, he calls all his friends together and says, Rejoice with me! For the sheep that was lost is found. Wow, this is a reason to celebrate. This is great. See, that's the kind of God we have. That every time He's reconciled with His people, every time something that's lost, not where it's supposed to be, like a sheep away from a flock, every time something's lost is found and restored, God is rejoicing. It doesn't even matter that that sheep may wander off again. And if it does, he'll just go gather it back up and rejoice all over. And God says, come rejoice with me, share in my joy. So as a witness of Jesus, you have the privilege of not just telling broken people about the healer, you get the benefit of sharing in the joy that comes from one being gathered into God's family. So how do you do this? This is getting increasingly difficult in our culture The how part of this. And so um, some years ago, I'm starting to stop referring to how many years ago because it's making me feel old. Uh, But about 20 years ago, when I was a pastor in Florida, anybody from Florida? One person from Florida. All right. All right. So that means there's only two Lutherans left in Florida. So (laughs) what part of Florida? Gainesville. Go to UF? right around the corner, right? So all right, so um, if you so in Florida 20 years ago, I was down in the Tampa area and I was called as the pastor of evangelism to Emanuel Lutheran Church. And uh, and I thought, wow, this is really cool. All these people want they want to know how to do evangelism so badly that they called a the pastor of evangelism to teach them how to be witnesses of Jesus. So, of course, I accepted the call and got started, and what did I discover? They wanted a pastor of evangelism to do all the evangelism for them. So uh, but we went ahead and taught them how to do things. But all you all you can teach is what you know. And all I knew was the old school evangelism, knock on doors. Knock on doors and ask questions. Here's the script. You run through the questions, you know, and, and the big question was if you were to die tonight and God were to say to you, Why should I let you into my heaven? How would you answer him? Very powerful question. So off we go to Florida in Florida, and uh, I managed to find a few people who were willing to actually knock on the doors of strangers, and we started going through the training. And what did we discover? Well, first of all, you couldn't get to people's homes because they live in gated communities. So there's a big problem there. Uh, Two, if we get to people's homes, many of them aren't home. They're at the beach. They're on the boat. They're at Disney because they have annual passes. They have, uh, they have kids in soccer. They have kids in baseball. They have a traveling volleyball team. They're, they have dance, and they have dance classes and recitals, and, and they're shuttling kids all over the place. Nobody was in the house. Well, the dog was in the house. Florida had the nicest dog houses in the world. You know, you know four-bedroom, three-bathroom, 2,500-square-foot two, dog house that the humans came, let the dog out uh, so he could do his business, slept in their dog's house, and then got up in the morning, ate, and left. Uh, And the dog got the house back because now but if they were home which happened on occasion and they did answer the door Which many didn't because they didn't want to be bothered It was an intrusion and you got to the question. Why you know if you were to die tonight And and God said why should I let you in my heaven? They were like Why do I care about that? I have a nice house. I've got three cars. I got a boat I got an annual pass to Disney World. See, I even have the sticker on the back of my car with the Disney ears on it. Life is great. I live in Florida. I haven't shoveled snow in 10 years. Why do I care about any of that? Heaven, death, judgment, they were not on their radar. So I had to find a different way to approach this. And what I came up with, now I was in the Air Force, I told you that. And I'm an Air Force trained acronymist. I I see the fear in your eyes. I do. I mean, because you should be afraid. I'm like a a lethal weapon with acronyms. So, all right. So I came up with an acronym, Lassie. You guys have heard of Lassie, right? Who's Lassie? No, you're not allowed to associate. it. The legal department said so. Okay. All right, Lassie the dog. All right. So. so LASSIE was just a, an easy way to remember some things. That's why I used the acronym. And the things are, it's not it's not like a checklist, but it's a uh, it's a framework. It's a way of keeping track of your conversation with someone. And the letters of LASSIE are, are listen, ask, seek, share, invite, encourage. And at the end, if you didn't write that down fast enough, I've got some little cards here that have the LASSIE on there. So listen, ask, seek, share, invite, encourage. And the whole idea here is that we engage people in a conversation where we're intentionally looking for a way to speak about Jesus so that they can hear it. So they can hear what we're saying. Because a lot of people are closed off to all this. So it's a purposeful conversation that we want to have. And who do we have this conversation with? Not, not strangers, not people off in distant lands, but the people God's put into your life already. The people you already know, or the people that will come into your life as you go through life. Because remember, God's not haphazard. Things aren't just happening by coincidence. God wants people to be saved, and he's using us as witnesses to bring them the message of salvation. He's not leaving things to chance He's actively working in these situations. And so what, we, uh, what, what we've we put together Lassie into a program called Everyone His Witness. And what Everyone His Witness does is equip Lutherans to be third article witnesses telling the second article story using their first article gifts. And um, you know what I'm referring to by articles, right? Somebody say it. Apostles' Creed, okay, you get to keep your confirmation. Everybody else may have to go back for refresher. Okay. All right, so here's the thing. You're, you are a third article witness. That's what you are. And In the third article, we confess that Jesus, who, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, who he is and what he does. And so the third article says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and a life everlasting. But listen to Luther's explanation. I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. But the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way he calls, gathers, enlightens and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. The most important two words in that explanation, I cannot. I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him. If I can't do it for me, how am I gonna be able to do it for somebody else? And that's the essence of, of that third article witnessing. I cannot save myself. The Holy Spirit had to do it for me. Guess what? When I go out and tell my friends or my neighbors or my relatives or anybody else I get into a conversation about Jesus with, I cannot save them. I cannot bring them to faith. I cannot convince them to believe. I cannot. But what I cannot do, the Holy Spirit can do. So don't ever think That it's on you. That if somebody doesn't come to faith, it's because you didn't do a good enough job witnessing. Or or you didn't say the right things. Or you you, you blew it. And now you're responsible for them going to hell. Those are all really bad ideas about evangelism. Popular ideas, but bad ideas. People come to faith when and where the Holy Spirit wills it. I cannot. You cannot. He can. And so God is God. He'll take care of those whom he has chosen for eternal life. He'll do it through his witnesses. But he'll make sure it happens. So So the Holy Spirit works faith when and where he wills in those who hear the gospel. That's what our Augsburg Confession says. Uh, It's the work of the Holy Spirit. He does that work where and when he wills. And we may wonder if he will, or why he did here and why he didn't there, and all that stuff. But it goes back to the previous picture, God is God. And sometimes God answers our why questions with a who answer. And his who answer is, I'm the Lord. And we just have to live with that. We have to accept that, because God is so much greater than we are. But we have this promise that the Holy Spirit works faith. Not Mark, not you, not you. Not your pastor. The Holy Spirit works faith in those who hear the gospel. Now we see our part in the mission. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Our role in seeking and saving the lost is to share the word of Christ. So words are necessary. This is really important because sometimes, remember those two ways I told you we share the love of Jesus with the world? We we show the love of Jesus And we speak the love of Jesus. If all we do is show the love of Jesus, even if we're wearing a really cool t-shirt when we do it, if all we're doing is showing the love of Jesus, something really important is missing. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. We must speak the love of Jesus too, before people can come to faith. The Holy Spirit works faith when and where He wills, and those who hear the gospel. words are necessary so share the word. and remember that when you do share the word God's present. God is present and active and working. Now the Holy Spirit you know, just as he as the Bible tells us said he's interceding for us when we pray because we don't know how we ought to pray and we make a big mess of things. But he's there with inexpressible groans, cleaning it all up and presenting our prayers before God as acceptable and pleasing. Uh, in our witness, the Holy Spirit's at work making sure that the Word reaches people. That he, that he, Even if we make a mess of our witness, if we get the Word of God out there, the Holy Spirit is at work. And, uh, and he's working through that witness that we give. And we're speaking on behalf of Jesus. But we're speaking... To the dead. That's a problem, isn't it? We're speaking to the dead. Ephesians chapter 2 says that that all of us were born spiritually dead. Now, what does a dead person do? What? Absolutely nothing. I mean, you could talk all day long to a dead person, and they're not going to respond. They're not going to hear. You know? If, if someone were to fall over right now, cardiac arrest, we wouldn't come up and say, excuse me, I happen to notice that you're laying on the floor without a pulse and not respirating. I happen to be trained in cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Would you like for me to administer CPR to you at this moment? I'm not getting a response here. Is that what you would do? course not someone's dead you act you don't wait for them to ask they're not going to be able to respond you you give them the CPR you know so when we go out into the world we're dealing with dead people spiritually dead people and and so they cannot understand what we're saying in other words we can't argue them into the kingdom of God we can't reason with them because they're unreasonable because they're spiritually dead but the holy spirit works faith in those who hear the gospel the holy spirit makes what's dead alive and so when you're out witnessing just remember you're speaking to the dead so all we can do all we're called to do is to plant and to water so the apostle paul said you know i planted apollos water but god gave the growth As witnesses, we plant and we water. We share God's word and we encourage people in that word and trust the Holy Spirit to give the growth. So what do we share? What do we tell people? Well, that takes us to the second article. And the second article of the Apostles' Creed is the story of Jesus and what he has done. And you know the second article. We confess it frequently. But here's Luther's explanation as a refresher. I believe that jesus christ true god begotten of the father before eternity and also true man born of the virgin mary is my lord who has redeemed me a lost and condemned person purchased and won me from all sins from death and from the power of the devil not with gold or silver but with his holy precious blood and his innocent suffering and death that i may be his own and live under him in his kingdom and serve him in everlasting righteousness innocence and blessedness Just as he is risen from the dead, lives and reigns to all eternity, this is most certainly true. So it's Jesus' story. But if you notice, uh, Jesus' story isn't just about Jesus. He includes us in his story. So one thing about Jesus' story is Jesus' story is always relevant. So God may have caused you to be born in the United States of America in the 20th or 21st century. Actually, most of you probably now the 21st, which really makes me feel old. So um, so into the family you were born into, into the location you were born into, But no matter where you are, whether you're in the city or whether you're rural, whether you're in a predominantly Anglo community or a diverse community, whether you're in an area that has lots of Christians or very few Christians, Jesus' story is relevant to every single person in your life and in your community. You don't have to make it relevant. You can't make it relevant. It already is relevant. But... Your role as a witness is to show people how it's relevant. To help people see the story. as not just someone else's story, but a story in which they've been included. And so sometimes in some evangelism approaches, they make everything about my story Right? My story, that you have to have some kind of powerful personal testimony and you're supposed to go around telling people stuff like, you know, I used to be a drug addicted, AIDS infected prostitute, but now Jesus is my savior and, and I have a beautiful house and a wonderful marriage and 2.4 children and an annual pass to Disney World. Right? You know, some kind of story like that. But see, the problem is most of us are Lutherans who have a story like this. Um when I was 4 weeks old, my parents brought me to the baptismal font and and I became a believer in Jesus and I've been a, a believer ever since. But my first 4 weeks, I was really bad. I was really really bad those 4 weeks, you know. And Jesus changed all that for me. So so you know, maybe the problem is we don't have enough, you know, former AIDS addicted or drug addicted AIDS infected prostitutes in the Lutheran church. Maybe we need some more. So no. The real problem is it's not about me. It's not about my story. It's not about my testimony. The Holy Spirit works faith when and where He wills in those who hear Mark's story. Is that, is that what we read? No, in those who hear the gospel. And so we want to tell Jesus' story as His witnesses. Now, occasionally, my story does help. My story can become a bridge to Jesus' story. But more frequently, my story gets in the way. So tell Jesus' story. It's always relevant. My story, maybe it's relevant, maybe it's not. I mean, it's probably the most exciting human story ever written or should be written and made into a motion picture, uh, but maybe not. Maybe not to everybody. Jesus' story is. And not only that, when you have Jesus' story, you have the most powerful testimony there is. I mean, even if I were a former drug-addicted, AIDS-infected prostitute, that hardly compares to the Son of God, true man, true God, coming into the world and bearing the sins of the whole world and paying for the sins of the whole world on a cross and then coming back to life on the third day and ascending to his rightful place in heaven. Uh, that, That beats my story any day of the week. We have the most powerful testimony there is. Let's make use of it. And tell and, and by telling his story, we, we want to tell the story in a way people can actually hear it. We're just not broadcasting the gospel of John and saying, ah, oh, yeah, we did the story. It's engaging people in a conversation where Jesus' story, which has many, many facets to it, you know, we can share elements of that story that relate to that that person can relate to and understand. Well, how do we do that? Well, we have to we have to know the person. We have to hear them. We, we have to understand where they're at. And then we can start to share Jesus' story in a way they can hear it. And so when we do share the story, we want to speak the truth in love. And, uh, and sometimes, as good Lutherans, we know that that means law and gospel. Right? So... We're told to speak the truth in love. So which is true then? Law or gospel? Which is truth? Both. Okay. Anybody here have a problem speaking the gospel in love? Does that seem pretty easy? All right, what about speaking the law in love? A little bit harder, right? Yeah. But there are ways to speak the law in love. In fact, the law should always be... because. Because the law is truth, and we're called to speak the truth in love. In fact, not speaking the law can be a very unloving thing. But you have to learn how to speak the law in love. The key to that goes back to an earlier point. We're broken people coming to broken people. The law shows our sins too, doesn't it? So I like to put it this way. You guys are familiar with this. If it, the second use of the law is what? First use is a curb, second mirror. All right. So if I had a mirror like this and I said, Katie, look at what a terrible sinner you are. Aren't you a terrible sinner? How's she going to receive that? I mean, it's true, but it's going to be, you know, that's not speaking the law and love, is it? I say, take the selfie pose. Katie. Look at us in the mirror of the law. Look at us. I'm a sinner too. Broken people coming to broken people. That's a one way we can speak the truth in the law in love. And just plant in water. Plant in water confidently. Because the Holy Spirit has made promises and He keeps them. He's going to work faith. God said in Isaiah 55: My word always returns to me. for the the purpose I sent it out it never comes back void we go out and and share the word and God does what God does with it and and, and it's not some crazy exercise in futility and that brings us back to the how the how of witnessing is using our first article gifts and first article gifts um, again referring to the Apostles Creed and here's, here's a list of first article gifts that Luther gives in his explanation. I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me and my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. All this he does only out of fatherly, divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in me. For all this, it is my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. Now, I don't, as you read through that list, you find out, wow, God is a good giver. He, daily, he richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body in life. Everything you have is... In this world is God's that he's given to you. Your family, your younger siblings, yes so for gifts too, your parents, your, your home, the car you ride in, the school you go to, the clothes you wear, the phone that you text your friends with, you know all those things and people but take it deeper. Your body, your mind, your abilities, your passions, all those, God has given you. Every single thing you have belongs to God, and he's given it to you. Isn't God a great giver? And he wants us to make use of that for a purpose. And the purpose, the purpose is for us to share these good gifts with others. So God designed you to be the witness that he's called you to be. And you are gifted enough to be his witness. Don't ever think that evangelism is something else somebody something somebody else should be doing, that you have to have a special gift to be an evangelist, that you have, a, have to be a certain kind of speaker, or you have to have so much theological training. Every one of us is a witness of Jesus by being baptized into Christ, and he's equipped you to be the witness he wants you to be. I mean, look at Moses. When God called Moses, he's like, um... You know, I don't speak very well. And God says, well, who who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? He said, Moses, I designed you for this. I gifted you for this. I crafted you for this. And he has done the same in your life for you to be his witness. Now, whether you witness to one person who become the faith over your lifetime or dozens or hundreds, I don't know. But you have an opportunity to be Christ's witness every single day of your life. And Lassie is that approach that we use. And I know we're out of time. I hate that. Unless you want to hang around a couple more hours. Uh, If you have six more hours, we can actually do the Everyone is Witness workshop. Uh, No? Okay. So, so, So what Lassie, this approach, is just being a witness in the place at the time and with the people that God's put into your life. And, you know, listening is key because listening is what's going to cue us in into where this person is, where they're coming from. You know, how are we going to tell the story of Jesus to someone so they can hear it? We start by listening. And then we ask questions. Uh, We ask questions that encourage people to keep on talking. We listen and ask to listen more. And then seek is looking for that connection point between that person's story and Jesus' story. And we know there is one because Jesus' story is relevant to how many people? Every person. person. Now what part of Jesus' story is going to resonate with this person? If I listen and I ask, I can seek out that point of connection. And it will be different for different people. But find a way to share Jesus' story in a way they can hear it. And share Jesus' story. Don't get all hung up about me and my story and my testimony. Speak of Jesus and let the Holy Spirit work faith when and where he wills in those who hear this gospel. The invite is the idea of inviting someone to keep the conversation going, not necessarily come to church with me. In fact, more and more, that's not a very good invitation. But inviting them to keep it going so we hope that they do come to the point where they do want to join us in worship. And encourage is just finding a way by using appropriate timing, tact, and tools to encourage that person to continue the conversation and keep keep them hearing about Jesus. Now that Lassie approach is actually the basis of the Everyone is Witness program. And, uh, and that program is a six-hour workshop. Uh, it comes as a kit from Concordia Publishing House. But there's also now a high school version of it that's shorter and was created uh, in conjunction with LYF. So it came out this spring. So if you go to Youth eSource, you can find information about everyone Is witnessed for high school groups. Uh, So it walks you through in great detail how to use LASI so that you can go out and plant and water and do it expectantly. Now, you see that picture up there. Uh, this is a church celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. anybody Anybody's church do that? The 500th anniversary, like in 2017? Right? Did your church look like that? Did it have that many people in it? <laughs> no. This is, these people do not live in America. This is, these are people living in Ethiopia. Now, Ethiopia, there's a church called the uh, Makani Yezu Church. They're, they identify as Lutherans. Uh, and there's like nine million people in this church body. Uh, when I first learned about them, just four years ago, they were six million. All right? It's huge growth. And and we look at that and say, Wow! In Africa, all these people are becoming Lutherans and Christians, and what? This is great. And we we act surprised. But why should we be surprised? For generations, we've been sending missionaries over to Africa to sow the seeds of the gospel and now we're seeing a harvest. You know what's been going on in North America for the last three generations? Falling away, away. keeping quiet, letting evangelism be the, the activity of a few professionals instead of all of us being witnesses. We have not been sowing, we have not been planting and watering, and guess what? We shouldn't be surprised of the results. So now is the time for us to go plant and water anew. And it starts with us because we're his witnesses. And remember, it's not some onerous task. It's not a punishment. It's a call to join Jesus in the work that he's doing to seek and save the lost. And joy has been set before you. Jesus promises that we get to rejoice with him. Maybe some of that rejoicing will happen here on earth. But I know there will be many people rejoicing when we gather around his throne in heaven. Maybe some of those who gather around the throne rejoicing will be there because you were a witness of Jesus who shared his story with them.